everybody. You are listening to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast, where we will be tackling real financial issues so women can eliminate fear and take charge of their lives. I am your host, Kimberly Davis, and I am the Fiscal Feminist. So let's get to it. I have read that 20% of women never negotiate. They don't like to negotiate, or if they do negotiate, they're worried they're going to come off as aggressive and, you know, be called the B word or not a nice lady or not acting like a woman or whatever it is that is said. Absolutely. So first of all, brand or be branded. Okay. So you're a business of one, you're a service provider. How you choose to brand yourself is going to determine your value. So if you're never asking for more money, that translates into you are not creating any new value. That's really important. Aren't you learning and growing on your job every single day? Isn't that creating more value for your company every single day? That means that you should get paid more over time to reflect that. Well, I am very excited today to have my interview with JT O'Donnell for this podcast because she is an absolute rock star, but really has had a very impactful presence in the career coaching world. And um, we're really going to have a deep dive into so many topics. I'm not sure I can get them all unpacked in an hour because there's a million things I want to talk to her about. She is the founder and CEO of WorkItDaily.com, which is an online coaching career platform. It has millions of monthly blog visitors and thousands of customers throughout the world. She's had a 20-plus year in HR and the recruiting industry, and she works with both individuals and corporations to help them become purpose-driven professionals and to develop their um, abilities so that they can have greater success and satisfaction in their careers, whether it's their current career, pivoting, or whatever. She's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, ABC News, Good Morning America, and BuzzFeed, on and on. I mean, she is an expert by everybody's standards. She also has 1 million followers on TikTok and 2.6 million followers on LinkedIn. So y'all should be following her because obviously she has some very relevant things to talk to you about and teach you. So without further ado, I will introduce JT O'Donnell. JT, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me. It always feels very weird when people, you know, share your history like that. <laughs> Girl, just own that because you're a you're a gangster. I mean, that's yeah. like awesome. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. And I'm so excited to talk to you. There's so much for us to unpack. You're absolutely right. Yeah. So first of all, I mean, because you are obviously the OG of career development, can you tell us about your career and your journey as to how you got to be JT O'Donnell? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, I was in staffing and recruiting and working crazy, crazy hours, female executive. By all standards, I had broken the glass ceiling, right? I had the big six-figure career, all the expense accounts, you know, running multi-million dollar divisions of a company. And uh, I went out on maternity leave. And while I was on maternity leave, I every intention of going back, uh, I looked into my daughter's eyes and said, Ooh, wow. I'm your teacher in life. You're going to see right through me. And this doesn't fit. I mean, I was so busy that, you know, my mom would call and leave a message and I would forget to call back, you know, things like that. Just very, very out of touch. That was a real moment. So as fate would have it, I got called back into the office and they said, we've been acquired. Um, We're merging. And I think this is it. I'm going to get laid off with a package. I'm going to have a year to figure it out. 
And instead of they tell me, we've heard about your work. We heard that you're really good at this. So you, we're actually going to put you in charge of the merger, <laughs> <laughs> which meant I was going to be working more than 60 hours a week, you know? And so I went home and said, this isn't it. I'm not going to do it. And my husband said, figure it out, you know, just quit and go figure it out. And so that was the beginning of making intentional career choices. And a lot of people thought that, you know, I was crazy. I had it all, as they would say, um, but I didn't, obviously. I didn't have it all, not by my standards. So that was when I had to take a step back. And I, I did, and I realized that my favorite part of my job, oddly enough, was when people would come to me and say, I'm not happy. And I would career coach them either into a new opportunity or help them get their next job. And the reason I love that is because of the network that it built me. So I thought, you know what? I think I'm going to be career coach. Why not? You know, And while I'm doing that, I'm going to figure it out because this really bothers me. How do you get to be you know, my age in my 30s, have this built this huge career and then figure out it's not right for me? There had to be a better way. So that was what led me on that journey and, and decided to go from there. And you know, like everything, I'm a bit of a type A personality. I dove in full force and here we are. So when you got your first job, was it in HR or what was your, what did you study in college? How did you get to into that field? Great, great question. So I actually studied engineering psychology, which is human factors in design in Boston. It's psychology. Okay. Of course. So there was a psychology component. I graduated in a recession. And so like most people, Mm -hmm. I did the whole take the first job that comes along. And so my jobs ended up being more in marketing and, you know, office, that sort of thing. But the way I got into HR was hilarious. I knew I didn't want to travel anymore. I was um, traveling. I was training and presenting across the country for a company. A lot of travel. Wasn't seeing right. my new husband. Right. So I said, I'm going to start looking for work and apply to a job that I thought, well, I know I could do this job, but, you know, it's it's with a staffing company. It's with recruiting. Oh, I don't, you know, I'll use it as practice if I get an interview. Well, didn't I show up at the corporate headquarters and fall over with how impressed I was with this organization? And that's when I understood where HR and recruiting was going. This was a company that was sort of ahead of the curve at the time. So I remember kicking myself, running home and writing thank you emails, thinking I've got to get this job. And luckily I did. There's something they saw in me and brought me in. And the rest was history. After that, I was really into it and was able to you know, catapult my career in that industry because I was so passionate about it, just seeing that we would recruit people And if they had the skills and the abilities, they would get the job. But what made me leave and become a career coach, part of that drive, when I told you that story was, we would recruit so many people, but could only get paid on the people we placed. And I would see all of these people that they had a little bit clearer sense of who they were and they knew what to say, you know, they would have gotten the job or they would have landed careers that would have made them happy. And that to me was really that moment when I said, there's two sides of this equation and nobody's helping the employee, the worker, we've got to get out there and coach the masses, you know, only executives and pro athletes were the people that ever paid for career coaching back when I started. So the thought process was, what if we could get really good career coaching out to the masses? Could we shift the dynamic in the workplace? And I believe that we can. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny because I, again, as the fiscal feminist, I kind of look at things through the lens for women. And when I uh, was practicing law, then I became an investment banker. I had a husband who was then also an investment banker. This was in the 80s, 90s, actually 90s. And when I had my first child, I had three daughters. One is now 32, 28, 26. And my oldest daughter also is a practicing lawyer in a New York City law firm. So we have a lot of issues that, you know, we discuss around that. 
But I did step out of the workforce, and then we then moved to London because of my husband's career, which was kind of a mistake for my career down the road in my financial situation. But it is not black and white. You know, some women will want to go back to work. Uh, some women will not. And that's a kind of tricky time in their career development. Usually they're at their prime in their career, and they may decide to step out. They may decide to carry on working, but it is a complicated decision no matter how you slice it and dice it because, you know, if you go back to work, you have to deal with the child care issues, motherhood penalty, and, you know, you're still, according to my research, you know, women who work, even if they're the primary breadwinner, still do 75% of the household chores and whatnot. So for women, it's a pretty complicated equation. So intentional career choices are pretty important. You know, I always say when you're trying to choose a company, try to look at their policies and see what they are. Are they accommodating to working mothers? Do they walk the walk and talk the talk? Or do they make it really, really difficult for you to kind of exist in that environment? So I don't know if most people let their careers control them and they just drift along. But I know for me, I wish when I came back to the United States after living in London all that time, I came back as a 53-year-old woman who had to recreate myself. Mm. I wish I had had you in my life at that point because I did. I finally got to the end game and got a job at Morgan Stanley. But there weren't a lot of people clamoring to hire a 53-year-old woman. And even when I did get hired at Morgan Stanley, I found out that a fellow who was hired on the same day as me got paid substantially more money with less experience than I had. So it was not only sexist, but ageist. So I would have loved to have some career counseling back then, okay, which I didn't. I just kind of winged it and hoped for the best, and it all worked out. Thank God. So when you are talking to people about intentional careers, especially women, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about uh, occupational gender segregation. And I often talk about trying to find a career that has a little resiliency because in the she session during COVID, the greatest number of people who were laid off or who lost their jobs were women. So what is your advice for how to choose your career? Mm, Great question. So the first thing you need to do is some self-assessment. It's not something they teach us in school. Employers are never going to help you with it because if they do, you, you'd you probably leave them, <laughs> right? And that's because um, yeah. no two people are the same. You need to understand what you value and what you need right now. So I think first understand that whatever choice you make right now isn't going to be the choice you have to have for the rest of your career. We make a lot of career pivots in our lifetime. In fact, one of the things that I do, I sit down and find out where you are in your life right now. Do you need a job, a career, or a calling? That's so good. I love that. So a job a job is it pays the bills. I can walk out the door and not think about it anymore because I've got other areas of my life that are more important. And so for a lot of women, that might be part-time work, hourly work, freelance work, anything that can give them that sense of control, especially right. for individuals, you know, like myself when I when I left. It only made sense for me to start my own company and I did consulting for my former employers which is how I was able to do it on my terms. Um, And that worked for me for a while. But while you're doing that job, you ultimately are starting to think about and do the self-assessment work as to what a career would look like for you. Now, a career is where you're starting to derive some satisfaction out of the work, meaning it becomes a, a part of your identity, not your whole identity, but you do relate to it. So when you go and do that work, you feel a sense of purpose, 
there's a sense of intrinsic motivation to want to do this work. You're curious. And the easiest way to know that is to look for problems that are bigger than you that you'd like to solve, where you feel you've got a set of skills that you could really leverage to help solve that. When we find people that are truly satisfied in their careers, they have found that that beautiful blend of, hey, how I like to contribute also solves problems and alleviates pain for this particular type of challenge. And that works really well. So you have to start to look at what matters to me in the world. What are some issues in the world that I care about? You know, what are things that I enjoy, that I obsess about, that I nerd out about? I'm not saying that all of us need to save the world. And I'll give you a beautiful example. I was working with a woman who her entire family had all been doctors, dentists, or lawyers. And so, of course, right, she was um, a paralegal. She wasn't the actual lawyer, but she hated it. And I said, well, what do you love? And she said, I absolutely love makeup and doing people's hair and makeup. But can you imagine me saying that to my family? And I said, okay, but like, what if you could work for Revlon? Would they question that? And that's when the light bulb went off. Because until you start to think about the kinds of companies you could work for that align with your, you know, your past and your experience, until you understand that you're not going to connect the dots. So get the job first, think about the career. Ultimately down the line, you may or may not want a calling. I would argue that you and I have reached that level. The calling is where it really comes together and you just realize there's infinite potential in what you can learn and grow and share within this particular problem that you're faced with solving, right? So for you, the fiscal feminist, you found it, you found that thing. And it brings us so much joy that we're willing to, I don't want to say sacrifice other areas of life. I don't think we feel that way, but we're happily, we'll trade out. You know, we don't need to go do all the things all the time with our friends or uh, anything else because we really want to devote our time to this. It it brings us that much joy and satisfaction. And so um, it's a wonderful place to hit. Not everybody reaches it, uh, but you have to look at where you are in your life first and then start to go from there. I think that answer is unbelievable for so many reasons. And that's because when I was trying to figure out, you know, like, hey, what, I, you know, I came back, I was in the middle of this horrible divorce. I had been a lawyer and a banker. And then in England, because I couldn't do what I did, I had a fashion company because I love clothes. But then I realized I hated being a manufacturer of clothing. I was the creative design. And honestly, we got the clothes in all the 10 best stores of Saks Fifth Avenue. So it was successful, but I didn't like it. I didn't like doing it. So I stopped doing it. Um, I also did a thing where I helped to start a big uh, school, uh, like a would be a kind of like a junior school uh, here because I'm very passionate about education, but again, isn't my calling. But when I was trying to figure out what to do for a living, when I came back, I was like, okay, I, I was a lawyer and I know I was a corporate securities lawyer. I know the capital markets. I was an investment banker. I know about, you know, corporate securities deals, but one of the things I never liked about those jobs, which are on the institutional side, is that I never got to use my networking and my personality and my, you know, I really love to talk to people about their lives. And so I became a wealth manager and I am so involved in all my clients' lives. And yet I'm still doing all the capital market stuff that I like intellectually, but on a personal level, I'm so much more fulfilled. And then as I became more successful in wealth management, I didn't want any woman to go through what I went through in my 50s or in their 20s. Or I, and I thought, I need to start a platform that, will, that I can reach out to all women of all economic strata, not just people who could be my clients, to kind of spread the word about how women need to like wake up, get with it, this is urgent, become CEOs of their own lives and start taking control of their lives and not wait around for their partner to be their plan or 
I don't know, some mysterious thing to happen. You know, I always say there's no Prince Charming, there's no Princess Charming, there's no Charming, there's you. So figure it out. And I think that's it. You know, when I was writing this book, The Fiscal Feminist, A Financial Wake-Up Call for Women, you know, I had my day job, right? So I did that mainly on the weekends for two years. And like you said, when it was nice out, because I live in Orange County, California, and people were hanging out at the pool or doing whatever, I was in my office writing the book. And that was because it meant that much to me. And I was stoked to do it. Were there sometimes I was like, oh my God, I don't want to meet this deadline? Yes, but I was stoked to do it. So I think the mix of things that you're telling people to look at are just so important because when you're looking for the career, mm-hmm. right? And I, w- I want to jump on something that you just said because there's a lot of women listening to this right now and saying, oh, sure, ladies, but you you have that confidence and you just knew to go for it and do it. There are a lot of women that have an idea and would love to wrap themselves up into a calling the way you and I have, but they dismiss it and they dismiss it with all these excuses. I don't have enough time. I, what if I fail? Everyone will see it. And they, they push it off. And you, I know you're listening right now. And I'm telling you, no one's asking you to be the rock star today. What we're asking you right. to do is to enjoy the process get curious and create Get in there, learn and share with others. That's all I'm asking you to do because everyone's a lifelong learner. So just get in, learn, share, keep learning and sharing. And what will happen is that you'll catch, won't you? You catch that energy and that will, you'll realize you're not a guru. Nobody's expecting you to be. There's no ego here. No one thinks you're a narcissist because what you're really doing is serving your network. You are serving people. There is nothing better in life to do than that. And so I really hope any woman that's listening today, part of making intentional career choices is understanding that by taking those actions and serving your network, not only will you get what you want out of your career, you'll help so many other people and that will just continue to fuel you. And I think too, for a lot of women, and I read this um, in different books and different studies, you know, women tend to want to be a hundred percent prepared to that confidence versus competency thing. So They won't put themselves up for a promotion maybe, or they might not try to do something that they think, oh my God, I need to be 100% ready to do this. I can't, hey, you know, when I was at Morgan Stanley, when I first got there, I had to go through the whole program, right? Take all the tests, blah, blah, blah. And that's called pre-production. Then all of a sudden this day comes called production where you have to start going, getting some clients. And if you don't get a certain number of clients, a certain AUM by this three-month period, your pay starts going down. So no messing around, right? And I remember like the day after when production started, I was sitting at my desk and I thought, okay, right. How am I going to get a client? Like I've done this now for, I don't know, two months in, in the program, three months. I have to go like get real clients now. And part of it was uh, fake it till you make it. Part of it for me was, it was a necessity. I had three kids, two of whom were in high school, one at Georgetown, I had things to do and my ex-husband decided not to honor our divorce decree. So Mm -hmm. I really had to make so many things happen. So then there was the necessity of it, you know, the urgency of it. But I wish that women weren't so hard on themselves in that they expect everything, like they have to be perfect and we need to get rid of that. Good is good enough. Just go for it. I have a plan. The women were raised to be perfect and it's, it's really hurting us right now. We have to get over that. We have to just keep failing forward 
right? Keep experiments will never fail. So just look at everything as an experiment and keep on learning and growing. Um, but it's you're right. We have we're so sensitive and we can't be. We have to just keep moving forward. And it it's hard for when you're in a, a stressful situation, it can be easy to say, I'm just going to go back to the safe thing. I'm not going to step outside my comfort zone or move forward. But all the good stuff, all the really good stuff happens when you get outside that comfort zone. So you've got to do it. Now, a couple of things I want to say here, though, we live in an amazing time. I don't know what I would have done without social media. I mean, my whole career right. took off because I was asked to write a blog post about career advice, and I didn't know that they were going to publish it on 50 websites, one in, uh, that had a career site for every state in the U.S. So one day when I wrote a letter to a columnist who I loved, and three days later, he said, can I get on the phone with you? And I couldn't believe it. And he said, well, I Googled you. So what do you mean you Googled me? He said, I Googled you and your, your writing is everywhere. I didn't even know my writing was everywhere. That is so cool. I love that. Incredible, right? And so that was the eye-opener to me that here I was, this mom in New Hampshire, and I could have a syndicated column in the United States. This online thing, there's opportunity to meet people, connect with people, to uh, create almost like an inbound marketing strategy for my business of one. Because you said it, we're all our own CEOs. I always say you're a business of one. You're a service provider. So how you brand this business of one is vitally important. And the opportunities are endless, especially with all the online outlets. So, you know, we have to be thinking about that, getting out there. Our network is our net worth, especially for women. And the only way we're going to expand that network is by, again, creating content, sharing our thoughts and ideas on LinkedIn, serving up so that people start to connect the work we do to us. So then all of a sudden, when they hear about an opportunity, it's like, oh, I know somebody who's been talking about that on LinkedIn or on TikTok or wherever. I'm going to reach out to that person. That's why you do it. People will say to me, oh, JT, you seem like such an extrovert. I am the girl that would like to sit home with a book on a Friday night. I am actually not overly extroverted, but I learned very quickly that this medium could make all of the best opportunities come to my doorstep. Right. And you're passionate and you're able to show that passion in the way you're talking about it. And that's such a gift from, you know, we all need to create that in our life. We exactly. all need to have some passion. I love my job as a wealth manager. I always love helping people accomplish their goals. And I also love when I go speak to a bunch of women as a fiscal feminist and see that light bulb go off and people mm -hmm. say after the talk, oh my God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Thank you. You know, that's like my vig, you know, that keeps me going. So let me ask you a question. During COVID, there was what they called the she session. Yes. A lot of people who are women left the workforce. Um, obviously, I think childcare had some of that. Maybe mm -hmm. others who don't have children had a chance to look at their job from a different lens because they weren't in the office. So going back to this occupational gender segregation, a lot of yes. the women were in hospitality, um, education, they were in careers that got hit really bad by the she session, uh, which was what it was called. Do you have any nuggets of advice for women when they are thinking about their careers about resiliency so that when these things happen, they have some resiliency in their ability to continue on doing their job and not lose their pay? Yeah. So it's really funny. You know how there's that risk tolerance um, kind of assessment that you do in financial planning? Yes. You try to yes. do so I have found that the more that somebody um, has very solid investments and has that financial security, 
yes. the more daring they will be with their career, <laughs> if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, of course, because I always say to people, have your six, in the five-step program that I'm telling people about to get their act together, financially, you need to have an emergency fund. And that's mm-hmm. not just if you get sick or you you know your car breaks down. It's if you want to pivot and try a new career or get some further education and you can do it without scrimping and panicking and, you know, it gives you some breathing room. And that is true. So, you know, you can keep working in your real job and have a side hustle so that you can keep garnering the assets that you need to build your net worth so you can breathe, then make your move. But you're right. I mean, I just, you know, I know like if you really love hospitality, you're going to be in hospitality. Correct. But I think that this... There's a mistake in that people try to look for an industry that they're a fit for. I always have women come back and say, all right, I want you to create an interview bucket list. And I don't don't get hung up on where these companies are, whether they'd hire for your skill set. I just, the exercise is come up with a minimum of 10 companies, ideally 20, that you absolutely love what they do. Not that you heard they're a great place to work. Not that you heard they pay well, but you love what they do. You love the customers they serve, the product or the service they've built. You love their value, their branding, their messaging. You can go on and on and explain to me why you're obsessed with that brand. 20 companies. And I can tell you that if you give me those 20 companies, I can look at that and see patterns. And we'll see patterns that they all work somehow with children. They're all environmental. It's all luxury. There are patterns in what we're attracted to. The reason I tell women this is that because you can have many different careers in your lifetime. You can do many different things. But if you can build up affinity for an area of interest, that's where the actual security comes in. Because every job is temporary. And if we know that, it doesn't matter whether you take the full-time job with benefits or you decide to become a freelancer and you figure that business model out. Um, things are always going to change over time. But if instead you can see where your patterns are and move yourself towards an overall concept or idea, that is where you will create that longevity for yourself. And also, candidly, grow the fastest because you'll be so connected to it. I keep coming back to this, but it's connecting your passions and interests with those of companies. And it's also how you get hired, you know, and I'll tell you a story. I was working with a woman. She lost her job. She did not want to go back. uh, And we did this exercise. And it turned out that she loved crafting. And of all the things that she loved to do, she was a scrapbooker. And she said, I know it sounds silly, but literally it's my things. And I said, okay, so can you just make lists of companies, like companies in crafting that you really admire? What do you love about their products and services? So she did that list. I said, okay, have you ever looked to see where any of these companies are? Literally the headquarters of one of the companies that she was interested in was in the town that she lived in. Oh my God. Put that together. Why would you ever think to put that together? You're not thinking you'd ever work there. Well, like, why would you ever look at that? And I said, well, now you have the story. All you need to do is network and meet people there. She said, well, I don't think they have a job for me. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you have an amazing story to tell to any person that works there. Hey, can I tell you the story about why I love your company so much. Let me tell you about how you've transformed my scrapbooking abilities. Let me tell you how it impacts my family. I said, you have an actual connection to this. And of course, she ended up getting an administrative assistant job there. But that's the, the, the kind of brain connection that women aren't doing. And once we do that, we will be able to sell ourselves very authentically and get jobs that we're not even qualified for. Because yeah. any company can give you the experience. We can teach you anything. But you know what we can't teach you is... Your, your personality and your aptitude and your desire to want to get up and do the job every day. 
That's the motivation. So for women, it's tapping into that and using that to build a career that's flexible and that works for you. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that methodology. I love that exercise that you have them doing. It makes a lot of intuitive sense to me. I mean, I probably stumbled into what I did just based on the fact that I I am sort of entrepreneurial and I always have been. And I think part of being a lawyer and a, and a banker, even because you're, you know, you're still a W-2 employee, didn't allow me to kind of be kind of an entrepreneur in the way that I like. So in my current job, I have my own P&L, right? I own my own P&L within the ownership of the company. But I also, like in London, you know, I built a fashion business and then I went on to help build a school from the ground up. So I like to build things and then I like to see what happens to them. And and that kind of is also with my wealth management clients. I like to put in plans and strategies that are going to make them grow too. So I stumbled upon it just through, I don't know, stumbling. But I think what you did, what you're telling people could be so useful. And before we go on to the next thing I really want to talk about, if somebody wanted to like get the benefit of your coaching, like the gal who was doing the scrapbooking, you know, she's not CEO. She's just like a regular woman who wanted to find her place. How do they do this with you? Because I think, ladies, if you want some good advice, this is the person you got to go to. Yeah. So, you know, I always uh, try to encourage people to use as many free resources as possible. So if you head over to Work It Daily, we do have a daily newsletter that we send out, uh, which is fantastic and provides a ton of advice. And within that, there's a place for you to submit your questions. So uh, for people that are, are looking for that. And then we have a private. So we've built an online career coaching platform. It's a membership platform. It's $9 a month. And when you get inside there, the first course that you will take is called Unlocking Your Career Destiny. And this course is rooted in self-assessment. So all of the things that we've been talking about today are the foundation of what I do in coaching, which is help you understand your unique combination of professional strengths. I need you to understand your communication style. I need you to understand your workplace personas, which are how you like to create value. I need you to see your passions and interests and how they rank. And so there's eight tools in there and we walk you through step by step. And then when you're done, you have a very clear sense of, okay, here's where I'm at, job, career, or calling. And here's what I need to work on next to move my career forward. So all of that is inside there. And then once you've gone through this course, there's also, we do live events. Myself and the coaches stream live inside the platform every week. We have live networking events where you can meet like-minded professionals. We've just built an entire place, a safe space for people to be able to figure this out and do it at their convenience. Because I think one of the challenges I always had when I started out in career coaching was you needed to pay a lot of money to set up a meeting for me to meet with you in person or on phone. You had to get all your questions answered in that moment. And then you went on your merry way and you were alone. And so that bothered me because what I learned was you didn't need an hour of my time. You needed five minutes of my time, but you needed five minutes every day. Hence the name Work It Daily. That's why it's called Work It Daily. So $9 a month and you're able to go through this Unlocking Your Career Destiny course and work with our coaches and all of that inside. And then if you need more help, we have packages where you can work one-on-one with coaches and additional courses you can take. But again, I built this out of the need to, just like you, we had to get this information out to people at scale. And that wasn't going to happen if we were going to charge thousands of dollars to do it. Yeah. And that was like the old school coaching. Back in the day, I had one, uh, I paid her thousands of dollars. This is when I was in London. And, um, you know, we met and it was all, it was kind of like therapy, I guess, you know, in a way, because you had these hour and that's it. And then you got to go 
do your homework. But I think with the internet and everything, you know, we have so many more uh, ways of communicating on a constant basis. And honestly, for $9 a month, um, it's worth it just to do the self-assessment. And I saw also you have some like free worksheets and uh, exercises that people can do. So I am going to really encourage y'all to go to workatdaily.com because honestly, I think I'm thinking I should, you know, have one of my, my, I have two daughters that are lawyers and the middle one was like, yeah, I'm not following the family tradition. Although she has now finally landed on her career because she's very passionate about personal training. And even though she has all these degrees, she's like, you know what? I want to be a personal trainer. And I was like, you know what? Do it, girl. Do it. But I do think this is awesome what you're doing. Now, I want to get on to the next issue because I could literally talk to you for about seven hours. And I don't know if anyone would listen to me for seven hours with you, but I have so many things I want to talk to you about. So the next thing is, so you figured out what you want to do. I have read that 20% of women never negotiate. They don't like to negotiate. Or if they do negotiate, they're worried they're going to come off as aggressive and, you know, be called the B word or not a nice lady or not acting like a woman or whatever it is that is said. And I've read a lot of ways that one should negotiate, like how to frame it so you don't come off, not in your mind, but I guess with those with whom you are negotiating with as being, you know, overly aggressive, whatever that means. Because if a dude does it, no one's going to even blink an eye. They're going to say, oh, you know, he's just driving a a good deal. He's a great businessman. He's a stud. And if women do it, they're like, oh, you know, that's not very feminine behavior, whatever that means. So can you talk about what the benefits of negotiation is for a new job and also within your job, why you should do it, and maybe some tips about how to do it so that, you know, you're effective. Absolutely. So first of all, um, brand or be branded. Okay, so you're a business of one, you're a service provider. How you choose to brand yourself is going to determine your value. So if you're never asking for more money, that translates into you are not creating any new value. That's interesting. That's really important. Aren't you learning and growing on your job every single day? Isn't that creating more value for your company every single day? That means that you should get paid more over time to reflect that. So when you're first negotiating a job, the one thing I will say is this. If they make it very clear up front that the salary is non-negotiable, I wouldn't ask. Because that then they've said, gee, you know, we interviewed you on the premise that this was non-negotiable. But most of the time, you'll never hear that. So when you get to the phase where they make you an offer, the answer should always be, wow, I'm you know, honored. I'm grateful. Thank you so much for the, the offer. You know, normally I would accept on the spot, but I'd really love a day to just go through the entire contract. So if I could get the whole written contract, make sure that I don't have any questions before I accept. Is that okay? Of course, they're going to say yes. Yes, they're going to send you the materials. Why do I want you to do that? Women do not like to negotiate on the spot, but give them a little buffer time to take a breath and formulate their thoughts, and now we can go back, and it's not a negotiation, it's a discussion. Right. So take that word negotiation out. Get your offer, go through it, and then think about what you're bringing to the table. And if you do want more money, you're going to sit down and you're going to explain why. What are you bringing to the table that will justify that value? You have to think about this. They're not hiring because they like you. They're hiring you because you're going to save or make them enough money to justify the cost of hiring you. You're going to add value. You're going to add value. So you want to look at that and then you want to write it out and then say, hey, can we have a quick call? And you want to open up with, again, really honored, really excited. I do have a question though. I was looking through everything and I wanted to see if there was any room for you to 
take the salary to or could offer me X. Uh, the reason for that is that I'm bringing this many years of experience. I'm really confident I'm going to exceed your expectations uh, and that money would go a long way for me. Um, that's really what I was looking to make. You know, I know you might not be able to make an answer right here on the phone, but I wanted to put that out there and see that first before I accept. What do you want to say? When they're negotiating for their new job, or even if they're in a job and they want to talk about their pay, you do talk about salary transparency, and there's been a lot in the news about that lately. Absolutely. There's only a few states that have it as a law. Mm -hmm. The federal government has not been able to pass uh, the salary transparency laws because the Senate will not pass it, and mainly because the Senate is a lot of older white males who would not want their compatriots to have to tell what they're making. That's my opinion. So, uh, so I'm just saying, you know, so in some states, you just have to go to Indeed or Glassdoor or whatever. In other states, you know, you can't actually see because they have to post for positions what they're paying. And we can talk a little bit more about whether that's a motivating factor, a good thing or a bad thing. But how do people uh, frame women in particular, but all people, how do they get the information that they need to, like, justify what they're asking for? So Glassdoor has a great calculator called Know Your Worth. I would definitely check that out and put that in because they look at salaries by location, which can vary based on cost of living. Salary.com is another one that you can go to. And I would at least go to two and compare the results. And you're going to have a range. But you should also just know what you want to make. Remember, we're all individuals right. with different levels of skills. So, you know, if you... We're making, let's just even numbers, $50,000 and you're interviewing for this job and you know you wouldn't want to leave unless you were making 60 and they come in at 55. Well, then you need to have a conversation with them about, look, I've been doing this last job. I actually believe I'm, I'm bringing the value of $60,000. I appreciate that you offered me 55. I'm wondering if there's any way you could get to 60. Here are three reasons why. I feel I'm going to be able to exceed your expectations. You know, I've, I've done this for seven years. You were looking for five years. I've done it for seven. I know how to do these three things. You know, you're going to, you know, put that information together. Again, this is why I want you to take that 24 hours because this is where men and women are different. Men have been taught to shoot from the hip, kind of use the bravado, yeah. get right into the conversation. Women would like to take a beat, have their ducks in a row and present. And so I don't want, I'm not going to ever tell you to adopt a man's style. Instead, let's play to our female strengths, which is let's sit down and have our ducks in a row and be able to present that data. And so it's also, it's getting granular with the facts, right? Absolutely. A, I need to make more money than you're offering because I need to. B, I am qualified for these reasons. And so you're not just saying, hey, I want, you know, an extra 10 grand because I'm me. And, you know, to your point, you know, women in the financial world, they don't generally like to invest as much as men. Uh, they tend to like to hoard cash more, but when they do invest, they're always more successful and they also like to do it through financial planning. So they're very methodical about how they do it and they're driven by planning, which is a way more successful way of investing than market timing or sitting around, you know, down at the bar with your bros talking about the latest meme stock you bought or whatever other silly thing you're doing on Robinhood. So you're nailing it. So we have to leverage we have to leverage our strengths as women. Now, let's say they say no. Your answer to that is, okay, can you walk me through when I accept the job, how long it will take for me to get to that salary? What is it going to look like and how long it will take? Can I get there in six months? Can we have a six-month review? Because what you're saying there is, I intend to grow. 
<laughs> so if right. I take this job, we're in agreement that I intend to grow and earn more money. This is where women are leaving money on the table. Even if you, if they say no in the moment, your counter is, well, what will it take? Can you map out for me what that's going to look like here? Because if they can't tell you that, should you really be taking this job? Correct. That's what we're talking about is thinking more strategically about that piece. Now, the other thing you asked was, how do you get raises and promotions? And I love this because this technique that I'm going to teach you is exactly what works well for women, which was go get the original job description, everything you were hired to do, and jot down how many hours a week you do each of those tasks. Now create a new column of all the new things you've taken on, because I guarantee you have taken on some new responsibilities. Don't we all? Our job description is never the same a year later. So I want you to list all the additional things you're now doing and how many hours a week you're doing those. And then I want you to create a third column because you're strategic enough to know that there are probably some more things that you could take on that would be even more valuable to the company, right? Higher payoff activities, but you don't have the bandwidth right now. So these are things you could do to save and make them even more money, but you're going to have to give up some original things on that first column list in order to do that. Because what we're not going to promise, and this is where so many women make a mistake, is if you give me more money, I'll do more things. But I'll keep doing all the other stuff I did too. Right, right, And this right. is where we're suddenly working 60 hours a week. And I tell you this because women will come to me, they were working 60 hours a week, they had a baby, they go back, they're now working 40 hours a week, and they get their first average performance review and average raise, and they're furious. And they say, I am doing all the same work I used to do in 60 hours a week and 40. I have become masterful. And I said, oh, yeah, 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 but that's not what you sold them. Brand or be branded. You sold them that what they're paying for is 60 hours a week of work. So what they see is somebody who has reduced their hours and in their mind is making more money for less work. Let me ask you a question because say you come back from maternity leave and you know you want to do more work that's growth oriented and so you have to shed some other of your prior duties. Do you think that women are afraid to say that for fear they're going to say, oh yeah, okay, you were off on maternity leave. Now you're just trying to do less work, even though you're trying to do more efficient work. But how do you get around that? Because I do think there will be some managers that frame it like that. And that's exactly why you do this exercise. So you're going to come back and say, you're going to sit down and say, I want to have a career conversation with you. Um, so I just want to show you that right now I've been doing X amount of hours from the original job description. I've taken on all of these additional responsibilities. So you can see how many hours I've been working, but as a result of this, right, I've really seen that I could be doing you even more strategic things, but that's going to take X amount of hours. I can't do a 60 hour work week anymore, but I'll tell you something in 40 hours, if you let go of this stuff and you have me do this, you're going to make a lot more money off of me. And I think that's it. If you frame it communally, like how are you going to benefit from me doing this? Exactly. And what happens is, first of all, they start to realize how much work you were doing. So that's the other thing. Women tend to keep their heads down and think everybody knows how hard they're working and they don't. So for the first time you're putting it to paper and showing them, you're also showing them, oh, gee, if she leaves, I'm going to need to hire three people. Let's not forget this. So this is how we, without having to say it, with women, we need to show it, not tell it. You know, men are fine with telling it. Women, we need to show. So now they go, oh my gosh, if she left, we'd have to find two people. Oh wait, she's proposing 40 hours of work and she'll do all of these things. And then we would get someone junior to do this. They, They come up with it on their own, right? The master plan. But the whole time that was your game plan. And this is how we do it with women. And this is how they win. 
And I want to say too, it is so important that you follow this advice because women, we are already still only making 82 cents on the dollar. Exactly. So <laughs> if we don't negotiate, the, look, this is, I'm going to just say it. I don't think that anyone's going to legislate that we need to make the same amount of money. Never going to happen. So if we don't internally through our own actions, each of us taking personal responsibility for our own career compensation, et cetera, et cetera, this is never going to change. Can I just say something to you? We can make more money than men. I would think so. And the way we do it is by what you and I are talking about right now, showing them the value that we're creating right now and the risk of losing that. That's yeah. when they start to realize, I don't, I don't want to lose her. I, I'm going to have to go pay for three people. This is where we aren't doing a, a good enough job of showing everything that we've taken off other people's plates and the value that that's created. And this inventorying process is the way that you do that and you get more money. And I've helped women make more money than their male counterparts because they could go in and logically prove the loss if they were to walk out the door. Right. And you know, I think the thing is this whole business of women doing 75% of the household chores and all that stuff. I always say, you know, there's the macro level and the micro level. Macro level, negotiate in your job. Micro level, negotiate at home. But a lot of women I talk to, and I think I was exceedingly guilty of this myself, is it's just a hell of a lot easier for me to just do it and not get into the whole thing. And, you know, if you're doing 60 hours a week when you should be doing 40 because you're doing all the old stuff and the new stuff, don't take that approach that you take at home, which it's just easier for me just to do it and not ruffle any feathers. No, you need to increase your net worth and you increase your net worth by making more money and making more money by working a normal amount of hours or less hours and being more productive. I, I just want to point this out, this methodology. So if you go to your boss and they say, we want you to take this on too, and you're thinking, I'm already working 60 hours a week. I guarantee you they haven't registered that. You've made it look too easy. Yes, you kept yes, thank sitting you. Sitting around and saying to your boss, I'll take that on, but I need you to see the hours I'm working. Can you just tell me which in this first column, which 10 hours in the first column you is now going to be planned neglect? And that's what we call it, planned neglect. I'm, it's going to get neglected because you want me to do this first. You need to show it to them. And that's when they say, well, I don't want you to neglect anything. Say, I can't do that. I'm hired for 40 hours a week. It's not a negotiation. It's a discussion so that we don't have to get defensive. We're just having a logical conversation. And, you know, I'll argue the same thing happens at home. I think women, we, we want to create this wonderful environment. We want everything to be perfect. Write it all down. Look at all the work you're doing. If you're doing 75% of the housework, add up all those hours. Sit down with your significant other and say, I need you to help me to agree that I got to give some of this stuff up. We need some planned neglect here. So can we get on the same page about what will be neglected? Because yes. I don't want you rolling your eyes at me when I didn't do the dishes or whatever it is. You see what I'm saying? This is about discussion, looking at the time. We have a finite amount of time, only so many tasks, just inventory it. It has made all the difference in the world. And I do practice what I preach, by the way. <laughs> no, I think it's so important because I think this is where a lot of women in particular get lost. They are busy, 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 busy. They're going to their job. They're picking their kids up at soccer. They're planning the birthday party. They're, you know, whatever it is we're doing. They're baking the cake and making the dinner. And then they just lose the string and the plot. And then they're not doing any of this stuff. And really what you're saying is, hey, let's just talk about the facts. None of this is like made up. These are the facts. This is what I'm doing. This is what I'm producing. And then it becomes a very logical, non-confrontational uh, discussion it's just about the facts. Here's what my time is. Here's what I'm doing. 
And, you know, you just described people working in their jobs. Women work in their jobs and they don't spend enough time stepping back and working on their career. Right. So every good business has a business plan and you regularly work with advisors and say, are we on track with the plan? Does the plan need to pivot? Right. You think about it. This is why companies have boards of advisors. Well, if you're a business of one, then you have a financial board of advisor in you, a career board of advisor in me, you know, a health board of advisor. We as women need to have that board of advisors for our life. But you also have to carve the time out to assess with them and, and listen and make that plan. And in doing so, you will feel less rushed. You will feel less distracted. You will make better decisions. You will feel more satisfied in the decisions that you make when you step back and you're a bit more strategic. Yes. And I would say I did this a couple times. I actually took myself <laughs> with myself on an offsite <laughs> for like two days. I went for the weekend. I didn't bring my husband or my kids or my dog. I just went and I got room service and got, you know, took walks on the beach because I was here. And I uh, literally did a business plan. And then I go back and review it. Where am I at? Like maybe I try and do this at least once a a year or twice a year. And it's my own little like offsite so that I can stop the madness and reflect on where the heck I'm at and what I'm doing. And you know what I, I do as well. And I think you and I are so lucky that we're in a position to be able to do that. And there'll be women listening to this saying, oh, I wish I had the time off that the two exactly. of you do. But you yeah. know what? You can do this in 30 minutes a week. It's a decision and it's an intention to step back and be strategic. And in the same way you're supposed to put your air mask on first in the airplane in order to be there for everyone else, this is what we're talking about. This is what women aren't doing enough of is Stepping back, because the better you get at this, you're going to be a better mother, a better, you know, spouse or, you know, in a relationship, friend, daughter, sister, community member, leader. The only way we're our best selves is when we really pull back and we cut it out and go, there are only so many hours. And also this idea, everybody has to have their own business plan for their life, right? For their career. But you have to understand too, this is how you build your net worth, you, you know, everybody, whether you're in a partnership or you're by yourself, you need to have your own net worth. And in order to build your net worth, you have to be building it with something. So it's usually through your work and what you get compensated for. That will allow you to save money. That will allow you to invest money. That will allow you to plan for your retirement. And as women, we're living five years longer than our male counterparts. We have greater medical expenses in retirement. We could be living much longer, so we have a longer period to fund. So this isn't like kind of just idle talk. This is actually going to affect the quality of your life and whether or not ultimately you're going to live in retirement in a dignified and safe way. Because if you don't make enough money or you st- you know, you know step out and you're not contributing to Social Security or your 401k or any of those things, this will have a ripple effect in your life. So If you know how to negotiate like this, you're going to make more money. You're going to be happier. You're going to probably stay in your career longer. And everything's going to just be better because you were proactive. And I'll tell you, there's a simple phrase change that that I really encourage women to do. A lot of people say, oh, I I have to do this, right? You have to. The truth is you get to. Think about you get to do this. You get to build up your financial freedom. You get to build a career that you're going to be so proud of. You get to be able to do these things so that when you're living a longer life, 
you're living it the way you want to in your terms. You get to. And I think you have to constantly remind yourself, I'm getting to do this. If I have the option to do this, if I have the choice, I'm getting to because there are people that don't even have that choice. So I want to remind women of that because I think a lot of times women see financial planning as this thing, oh, I have to do it and it's so stressful and they put it off. Get excited. You get to do this. Right. You 100%. have an opportunity you know, that's, in, that's incredible, especially with really talented people like you who are putting out books and podcasts in order. You get to listen to this, which means you get to make a decision. And that, and everything in life is how you frame it, right? How in and, your mind, I just, I'm doing a podcast that's going to air next month, but it was about the psychology of the budget, right? So when you go to the doctor, right? And this is the same for your career. If you don't go to the doctor and you wait too long for the diagnosis, uh, it might be too late. So you have to view this the same way. All of this stuff is integral to your ultimate happiness as a human. If you don't have a good job that you like and you're, and you're just feeling like you're a slave to this job, that will be terrible for your health and your psyche. If you are always worried about your money because you're living from hand to mouth, you've got no plan, doesn't matter how much money you make, you can always live within your budget and save if you are planning this, okay? And that will take you to the next level. So you have to reframe this as, about self-love. If you love yourself and you want to be healthy and you don't want to be stressed out all the time, you will listen to what JT is saying about your career. So you have the career that you love and you wake up most days and say, oh my God, I'm so lucky I get to actually do this and get paid for it. Even though, you know, some days you're not going to feel that, but for the most part, you're, you're pretty jazzed about it, you know? And you're not like saying, oh my God, if I get a flat tire, the whole house of cards is going to fall in because I can't afford it. Absolutely. And and so there's one more thing I really want to, we're running out of time, but I absolutely 100% have to talk to you about this. And I have about, I don't know, 18 more things I want to talk to you about. So obviously we have to do another podcast, but there's a lot of talk now about since COVID remote working. Mm-hmm. I know I have colleagues that feel remote working isn't a good idea. Mm-hmm. These are usually men who have uh, stay-at-home wives, which is not a bad thing. I'm just saying those are usually the people who are saying that, that I know. I'm not saying it for the whole world, but in my little world. I actually think remote working is very good, especially for women, especially for mothers, or for people who have to care. Like There are a lot of women who have to take care of their parents when they get older and they're still working. I'm, I'm a person that is a sandwich generation. I have a 90-year-old parents and children who still, you know, don't need me as much as they used to, but they still need me. So I am a believer that if you produce, whether you're remote or in the office, yes, there's camaraderie and all that stuff in the office. And I try to go into the office three, two to three days a week, but I don't have any little kids anymore. So I don't have to worry about whether I'm picking up my daughter at 3.15 from school. What are your thoughts on this? What are your thoughts about productivity? Do you think it's a good thing? And is it something people should be negotiating for in jobs that they get? Yeah, definitely. So there's, so first of all, the people that are saying remote work is a bad idea, uh, that tends to come from whatever their definition of what, what work is and their expectations of people in work. And so they're, you know, they want to be able to see them, they want to be able to command them, control them, prove that they're actually working, which means you think they're home, you know, doing nothing all day or getting paid for eight hours when they're doing two hours of work. And that's just a completely outdated notion, especially uh, in the knowledge working world. 
it is very hard to put in eight hours. I moved my company to a seven hour work week back in 2018 and watched productivity and profitability soar 50%. So we already know these mindsets are really, really outdated. And then it was further proved during the pandemic when everybody went remote and guess what? People were undistracted. They weren't being distracted by their cubicle mates or anything else going on. So we know working remotely can be great for productivity. I think that going back into the office has its advantages. And one of the things I do get worried about is that people aren't networking enough. Right. One of the things we did have when we worked in the environment was we really built up relationship with people that we could then call on. And every job is temporary. You're going to have an average of nine careers in your lifetime. You're going to bounce around. So each time is an opportunity to build a network of people, trust and respect that can help you. So I think remote work is great, but I think people have to invest time and energy in networking in order to make it work. So for women, remote work is fantastic for all the reasons that you discussed. I think you should negotiate it into your contract, but I want you to pay very close attention to your networking strategy. I want you to meet people, do virtual coffees, you know, volunteer for things, you know, go to go to things, whatever you can do to build those relationships. Because I will say the one scary thing about remote work is out of sight, out of mind. People that are getting laid off right now are the ones that have not established connection or value. And it makes it really easy, as we've seen, for companies to send you an email and shut off your computer. So um, we really we really have to think about that. But this idea that remote work is bad and that everyone should be in the office all the time is just ridiculous. Like we just it's not how we live anymore. And I think the companies that choose to do that are going to get a very particular type of employee. Yeah. And I think I think for people who have to do caregiving for a little bit or for a lot of it, it allows them to craft how they they do their work day. And I know for myself, when I work from home, I literally work longer hours. I end up working like 12 hours because I don't know, I'm not I'm I'm you don't know that I'm working remotely. I'm responding to my emails, everything, you know, very uh, quickly and doing everything I have to do. But when I go to work, I have to get up, I have to get dressed, I have to drive to work. Then I, you know, I'm at work, but then there's colleagues who talk to me and so on and so forth. Then I end work and I come home and I drive home and then that's the, I'm done. I don't really, while I'm here, well, I can, you know, get back at my screen and start working again. So I actually think people can be actually more productive, but maybe not as balanced, you know? I just think, I think a, a hybrid or remote work schedule are ideally where most corporations go, the idea of everyone being here all the time, unless it's something that you physically need to do, right? If you think like manufacturing or workers, but if you're a knowledge worker, there is absolutely no reason for people to have to be full-time in the office. It makes no sense. And it's going to impact who you get for talent. I'm going to say that over and over again, who's willing to come in like that and, you know, give up those aspects of their life. Uh, you're, you're going to see a different level of person. So I, I think the good news is that a lot of really smart companies are going to embrace hybrid and remote work long term. And my advice to everyone, though, is really pay attention to your networking strategy if you work remote, because you are missing out on those key relationships that you used to build just out of through osmosis, right? Just by being by the yeah, water cooler, yeah. they used to say. So you want to work on that. Yeah, and I agree. Networking, I mean, I spend a lot of my time actually networking more outside of my office, but, you know, I, I belong to a lot of women's organizations. I belong to a lot of organizations on things that charitable or whatever that I'm interested in, but certainly I belong to a lot of different uh, professional women's associations. Some are remote online. Some of them are in person, but I always, I mean, the 
amount of support that I have gotten from those organizations when my book came out, Hmm. for example, uh, you know, I know Chief's under a lot of heat right now about certain things, but I am no longer a member of Chief, but I was when the book came out. And honestly, several of the women have been so instrumental in promoting my book. And that's part of the sisterhood, right? We're helping each other. And you you really, and you can get good ideas and good advice and so on and so forth. So it's really important for us to stay in the mix, even if we are working from home and we've got a million other things to do, but we do have to keep talking to each other because the only way we're going to change kind of the uneven playing field is by all of the things that we've talked about today and also not being burnt out. Like I think a lot of women are just so exhausted and if they listen to you and they listen to me. I know it might sound tedious what we're asking you to do, but it's really not. It's exactly what JT said. Think of it as like you have to do it. Like you get to do this. This is not you have to do it. You get to do it. How lucky are we? Yeah, We really are. We really are. And I've enjoyed talking to you so much. And I would really love to talk to you more because I think these topics are so important for women to hear, to give them permission. We have to give women permission to, to do these things and to take time for themselves and, and to not be perfect. Let's stress that one one more time, right? This yeah. is not about being perfect. This is about learning and growing. Yeah, 100%. And so why don't, um, if you could just tell our viewers again how they can find you and all the links and so on and so forth. Absolutely. Well, first of all, I'd love for you to all become Work It Daily subscribers. It's a free newsletter. Go over to workitdaily.com. You can see all of our articles. You can search for any type of career or job search advice there. And then we do have the Work It Daily membership. It's $9 a month. You get access to the course, Unlocking Your Career Destiny. You get our live coaching sessions, live networking events. It's it's incredible. And again, $9 a month because... You can't even get a cup of coffee for $9 a month. I'm just saying. Thank you. We're trying to disrupt the industry, right? And try to prove to people you don't have to overpay for something like that. So we'd love that. But of course, come follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I'm JT O'Donnell on LinkedIn. I'm JT O'Donnell on TikTok. I'd love to see you there. Give me a shout out. Let me know that you heard me on the podcast uh, so I can message you back. But mostly thank you. Well, I am uh, so grateful for you spending time with us today because honestly, I am signing up for the newsletter. Um, because Good. I want to learn more so I can share with people and, you know, credit you for the thought leadership. And I just think what you're doing is so incredibly important because everything career is about how you're going to get through your life and be happy and productive and motivated and then also build your net worth so that you're not scrambling and that you can go into retirement with a smile on your face when you're traveling or doing whatever it is you want to do in retirement. They truly are. Career and finance, hand in hand, ladies. And hand you in get hand. to do this. You get to yeah, do this. I mean, they're, they're all, and that's the thing. I When people say, oh, like, what are you like? Are you like a Susie Orman? And I'm like, well, not, I'm not, I am and I'm not. Like I talk about personal finance, but it's only one component of the bigger puzzle. Because if you don't have all this other stuff or also how you discuss your finances and relationships, money infiltrates all aspects of our lives. And if we have to have it, let's enjoy the way that we're making it and make it really happy and joyful instead of like a big chore that we wake up every day and say, oh my God, I so don't want to do this today. What a bummer. I mean, life is short guys. So we got to love what we do, or we at least need to like what we do and make sure that we're getting paid for it and operating within that sphere in the most logical and balanced way possible. So JT, you are just wonderful. I mean, you're just full of so much information. I can see why 
you know, three gazillion billion people are following you because uh, there has not been one wasted nugget here. I mean, this is also, this is gold, ladies. So I want you you. to listen to this podcast. I want you to save it. I want you to listen to it like every quarter. Go back to this podcast and listen to it again. Thank you so much. And we will do a number, we're going to do a part two uh, a number of these, I think we're going to probably do a part two, part three, because there's just so much to unpack with all of this. And thank you for all the good work you do. You are really helping a lot of people and especially women. And that's what this is all about, joining the sisterhood and helping each other out. Thank you, JT. Thank you. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for listening today to the Fiscal Feminist Podcast. Please take a minute to subscribe to the podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And I would really appreciate if you could also rate and review it. You can also find me on Instagram and TikTok at The Fiscal Feminist or check out the website FiscalFeminist.com. Ignorance is not bliss. As women, burying our heads in the sand when it comes to our money has dire consequences. But yet, so many of us have employed this detrimental strategy. After over two decades of experience, I've discovered that women face a twofold crisis of competence and confidence regarding how they approach and handle finances. It's time to close that gap. I wrote The Fiscal Feminist, a financial wake-up call for women to teach women how to take charge of their money and control their financial destinies. This book will help you achieve financial literacy, establish the right tools and rules for managing your money and relationships, and to plan for your future. It's time to gain and maintain financial wellness on your own terms. Head to FiscalFeminist.com to order your copy today.